I uh, was thinking this week that uh, I started my cross-cultural training and uh, language training back when I was about 16 or 17 on my first visit to North Carolina (laughs) from West Virginia. And uh, I came down here for General Appalachian and was in the camp at Blowing Rock. And uh, toward the end of the camp, a lot of the campers invited me to go to Hickory and Lenore afterwards and spend a few days. And they told me on the way over there, they said, now, uh, when we get to Hickory, uh, some of our friends will carry you downtown where we will eat. And uh, I thought, they're going to put me on their shoulders and... uh, I discovered what they meant was they were going to take me in the car. And uh, then when I uh, left West Virginia and went to uh, Aurora to, uh, to study in college, I discovered that there were no cricks in Illinois. And I kept asking if they had any cricks, and they didn't seem to know what that was. Finally, they they understood and said, yeah, we have a lot of streams. (laughs) But we had a lot of cricks and footlogs in West Virginia. uh, Well, thank you for uh, hosting the uh, Agape reunion. Uh, All of us have enjoyed being here, and we've been well taken care of, and we, we appreciate your hospitality very much. We never know what a day will bring. There are some days that we will always remember, which we will remember until the end of our days here on this planet. Those days we will never forget. We will always remember where we were and how we felt at the time when Kennedy was shot. Those of you who are old enough know where you were and when you heard that. I was driving through downtown Kent on my way to the office when I heard the planes hit the towers, 9-11. In my own case, there was a phone call in the office at Baraboo, Wisconsin from Mother Pierce. She was crying and through her crying, I heard her say, my son Don is in the cornfield. He is hung up in the corn picker. Hurry, get here. And so I drive to the farm, and uh, as I pull up by the house here, Dr. Pearson uh, pulls in in his car, and he jumps into my car, and I drive him out across the cornfield. Out, We saw the corn picker out there in the field. And we get out there, and here Don, is, uh, his arm is up in the corn picker. And I remember having to take the wrench and turn the rollers backwards to roll his hand back out of the corn picker. Well, I'll never forget that. And I'll never forget how just a week or two later, uh, Don showed up at church and he reached out to shake my hand with two fingers, smiling. 
those things stay in your mind. It seems that recently I've spent a lot of time in waiting rooms at hospitals and clinic lobbies. And I sit there and I watch people go by. Some walk by sprightly and in a hurry, smiling, feeling good. Some come out of the doctor's office and walk through the lobby with tears in their eyes. They got bad news. Some come by on walkers and some are in wheelchairs. And some just shuffle along down through the lobby of the clinic. And then I sit there and watch all this and I remember a quote. Everybody has something. And everyone here this morning has something that you're dealing with. It may be good. It may be bad. Everyone has some issue, some concern. I sit in church on Sunday morning and I hear the prayer requests. And it just amplifies. Everybody has something. I read the denominational e-news. Persecution in Myanmar. Persecution in Bihar, India. And a good friend of mine who is the pastor there had a knife stuck up to his throat and was told, quit preaching Jesus here or I will kill you. And he looks him in the eye and says, Jesus called me here. And I will not leave. And I will keep preaching Jesus. Good friends down in Papua New Guinea, Mondo and Nancy, I love them. They had their home burned and the church burned by the rebels. Everybody has something. Typhoons in the Philippines. Tsunami and nuclear disaster in Japan. And the debris now is washing up on the west coast of Oregon and Washington. Nuclear waste. Terrorism in Africa and the Middle East. And I think again as I watch the news and uh, read the paper, everybody has something. Then I read the words of our wonderful Lord Jesus. In this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Isn't that great? In this world, we all have trouble. But be of good cheer, because he has overcome the world. What about our Bibles? Almost every page was written during a difficult time. Look at the book of Genesis. Adam and Eve banished from the garden because of their sin. 
And you move on and uh, the flood and Noah because of sin. The struggles of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The struggles of Moses and David and the prophets all in difficult times. The birth of Jesus during Roman occupation. We celebrate and romanticize Christmas. But it was a hard time. Jesus, born in a cave, laid in a feeding trough because there was no place in the inn for them, having to flee from Bethlehem to Egypt because of Herod, hunted by his enemies most of his life, crucified on a cross. Everybody has something. But what brings us here today is this same Jesus, the one who died and rose again, the one who ascended to the Father and has called us to follow him and to tell his story all over the world. That's why we're here this morning, isn't it? Because of him. If it was not for Jesus, we wouldn't be here because there would be no churches. There are churches because of Jesus Christ, and his story is being told all over this planet. And it's his command that we tell that story until he come again, and he said that he would be with us in the process of telling that story. So here we are in the midst of a hurting and suffering world where everyone has trouble, and we're told by Jesus to proclaim the good news of the gospel. So there's a little church or a little verse that is found in John 16.33. In this world you will have tribulation, trouble, but be of good cheer. You know, it's very interesting. In the Gospel of John from chapter 13 through 17, five chapters... One-fourth of the Gospel of John was, tells the story of what happened in just a few hours of Jesus' life. Isn't that amazing? You know, sometimes I think about that. One-fourth of the Gospel of John is written to cover just a few hours in his life. Starts with the Last Supper. Jesus washing the defeated of the disciples, sharing with them the meal. And then it moves on. And I would like to read just a few verses beginning in the 13th chapter. It was just before the Passover feast and Jesus knew that his time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. My children, I will be with you just a little longer. You will look for me, but just as I have told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you can't go. But a new command I give you, my children. 
love one another. As I have loved you, so you are now to love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And then moving into the 14th chapter, he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me, for in my Father's house there are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will receive you to myself, that where I am, there you will be also. And then on a little later, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. E. Stanley Jones writes on that passage, and he says, It's interesting, Jesus didn't say, I can tell you the way. I can tell you truth. I can tell you about life. No. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. Then he moves on and he says, If you love me, you will obey my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor. He will be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. There's a little study in prepositions there that we need to latch on to. He says, you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. It's interesting that in this section in the upper room, he changes prepositions from with to in. I'll no longer be with you. I will be in you. And it's interesting that Paul picks that up in all of his epistles, and he uses two phrases interchangeably. He says, it's Christ in you. And he says, you are in Christ. He doesn't say Christ is with you. He says Christ is in you. And we need to remember that. That Christ is in us. Because he loves us. And he wants us to know him. And to love him. If anyone loves me, they will obey my teaching, he says. And my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make his home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching, and these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who has sent me.
And then in chapter 15, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And my father is the gardener and he cuts every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. I'm sort of a a part-time landscaper. And I've learned over the years that there's two reasons for pruning. One reason is to cut out uh, dead branches and branches that are not productive and don't bear fruit. Another reason for pruning is to stimulate growth. And when Jesus said that he is the vine and we are the branches, he's talking about the Father pruning in order to stimulate growth. Sometimes he has to prune things away from us, not to destroy us, but to stimulate growth and to make us more productive. And all this is tied up with love. He says, my command is that you love each other as I have loved you. He's already said that about five times in these few chapters. And then he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. So how do we go about that? Agape houses were born out of love. Simple things. A meal. A smile. I'll never forget one day when I was sitting in Hebrew class at Aurora University and Dr. Jenks, who was in his 80s and still teaching Hebrew, Dr. Jenks wore a monocle, there were no, 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 no earpieces, it was a monocle, and he would take it off, and when he took it off, you knew something's coming, listen, <laughs> this is important. And one morning, Dr. Jenks stood up in front of us, he was about 6'3", and he stood up at his full height and took off his monocle and leaned over, and he said... Uh, He said, when you're walking to class and you pass someone on the sidewalk, smile because you could change their day. Now, isn't that quite a lesson for a Hebrew class? For the professor to start his class by saying, if you meet someone on the sidewalk, smile. You could change their day. Everybody has something. And a smile might change their life. Agape houses started with smiles. And a meal. Feeding the homeless. And now there's graduates from agape houses in 95 countries around the world. And how many? 650 graduates of agape houses scattered all over this planet. It all started with smiles and a meal 
and the reading of the Bible together. The great commandment is that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, and with all of our minds, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? And Jesus says, by this all people will know that you are my followers if you love one another. The test of being a follower of Christ is not how much you know, not even how much you know of the Bible. It's not how often you go to church meetings. I wish a lot of them I had never gone to. <laughs> Some of them were board meetings. Not that they were cantankerous, but just you sit there and people go on and on and on and you wonder... Where in the world is this taking us? (laughs) The gospel really is so simple, isn't it? Simply, Simply loving people for Jesus' sake. Why? Because Christ is in us, and he wants to come out of us to touch the lives of people around us. What about us? What does all this mean about us sitting here this morning in Dolan's Grove, North Carolina? Do you know anyone's hurting? Pick up the phone and call them. Simple. Text them. Skype them. Facebook them. We have all these options nowadays for getting in touch with people. Everyone here knows people. We need to let them know that we care for them. I'm a great believer in theology. Now, theology means the study of God. A lot of people are afraid of theology because I think it's gotten a bad rap. (laughs) Because a lot of people think theology is debates and arguments over theories of the atonement or theories of inspiration or theories of predestination. And we all have points of view about those things. And in the minds of a lot of folk, that's what theology is. No, theology is very simple. Theology is the study of God. And boy, every one of us needs to be into theology, studying more about God, to be more like him, to love him. There's a part of this that... uh, I have take, latched on to, and I call it the theology of the hunch. The theology of the hunch. What do I mean by that? One day I was sitting in my office in Seattle at the Advent Christian Church on Capitol Hill in Seattle. I was sitting in the office, and I had to go to Fort Lewis, which is about 40 miles south. 
And there's this freeway that runs straight from Seattle to Fort Lewis. There was a family that I needed to see down there. And so I go out to my car, and I get in the car, and uh, there's like a voice that says, you need to go to Vashon Island on your way to Fort Lewis. And I thought, Lord, Vashon Island, I-5 goes straight to Fort Lewis. He said, no, you need to go to the cabin on Fashon Island. And so I go to the ferry and go to Vashon Island and go up to the cabin. And here's the fellow who lives in the cabin, and he's walking around in the yard on one leg. I had never known before that that Rob had lost one leg and he had a prosthesis. Because every time I saw him, he was had his trousers on and he was walking normally with looked like both legs. Well, here was Rob walking around the house on one leg and he was crying. And I walked up to him and hugged him and I said, Rob, what in the world's wrong? And he said, well, my dad just died. And he lives in Yakima, which is across the mountains. He said, he lives in Yakima and he said he died suddenly, and last week I was over there visiting him, and we had an argument. And it was my fault. And I never had a chance to apologize to him. And he said, I don't know what to do. So I went in the house with him, and we sat down, and we prayed together. And I went on to Fort Lewis. That's what I mean by the theology of the hunch. It didn't make sense to go to Vashon Island. <laughs> it was 20 miles out of my way. You have the, those hunches that come to your mind. Have you ever been riding along in the car and somebody's name popped into your head? That's Jesus and the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And we don't dare neglect those. Because when a name pops into your head, you need to call them or write them or visit them or Skype them, or text them, or something. That's not an accident that that name comes to your mind. And if a name comes into your mind, that's something for you to do, not for you to tell someone else to do. <laughs> that's why the Lord spoke to you. You who are parents sometimes, and maybe there's a child that's away, and that child's name comes to mind. Call them up. Tell them how much you love them. Contact your kids. Contact someone to resolve an issue that has been unresolved maybe for years, but that person's name comes to mind. 
And Jesus is telling you, you need to make things right. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us to guide us, Jesus says, into all truth. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we are to love each other as he loves us. And by this, all people will know that we are his disciples, his followers, if we love, if we love each other. Right now, I bet there are names in all of your heads. What will we do about those names? They're very real people. People waiting to be contacted by us. Because Jesus wants to love them. And that's what telling the story of Jesus is, what agape houses are all about. It's what the gospel is all about. Loving the world because everybody has something. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you are wonderful. You are so good to us. We have received so much from you. In fact, Lord, everything that we have and are is yours and came from you. And we just want to give it back to you. Give it back to you, our lives. And we want to live like you. Because God so loved the world that he gave his son. And we want to thank you and we want to return that love by loving those around us. Teach us how to do that. Help us to do it in in all kinds of ways. And help us to do it every day. Wherever we are in this world, Lord, help us to share you. And we praise you and we thank you for all that you're doing in your marvelous name. Amen.